0: heights
1: to the depths of the sea so notice it says in verse one there there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my hand and or at my word and and elijah's word was really god's word okay so it's really not just his word he he knows that too but he is being directed by god to say there's not going to be any rain unless it's at my word which he obviously means god's word but who controls the rain All
0: exclaiming Indescribable Uncontainable Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Today, our scripture says, There shall be no dew nor rain these years, except at my word. This was a dramatic demonstration against the pagan god Baal, who was thought to be the sky god, the god of the weather. Elijah showed that through his prayers to the God of Israel, Yahweh was mightier than Baal. Elijah was not merely the prophet of this drought in the sense of prayer. He was the cause of the drought. He prayed and it happened. We as followers of Jesus Christ should always pray continuously. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress.
1: Each one of them from these different nations all had their favorite gods and so now he's got the International House of Idolatry or the International House of Pancakes or the International <laughs> House of Idolatry right in his own Jerusalem. And he didn't turn from it. And, and um, the Lord rebuked him for it. But it can happen. Even to a king like Solomon, who the Bible says was the wisest man on the earth. And yet, even the wisest man on the earth, if he's not careful, can be tripped up. And that just proves and goes to show you that we need to walk with Jesus moment by moment, day by day. We can't let our guard down because the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't need any new tricks. The old tricks work very well, and he's only got a couple. He's got a couple of them, and he uses that, and they're so effective. Especially against the natural man. The natural man is 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 like a sitting duck to Satan's devices. But the spiritual man can fall too if he's not careful. The spiritual woman can fall if she's not careful. That's why Jesus said, Abide in me. Abiding means staying with. We we, we can't depart. We can't let a day go by. And so Solomon's heart was led away, just like these other kings. And yet, what was the warning from the scripture for all the kings? And you've heard me quote this scripture so much, and it is a really important one. If you don't have this at least memorized, write down the, this phrase, because you will find that you will, you'll come back to this often, because it was the root problem. And it's in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 through 18. It's, it's God's warning to his people. All of them, Judah and Jerusalem, everybody, all of Israel. But notice what he says, again, Deuteronomy 20, verse 16 through 18. And this is what he told them before they even came into the promised land. He said, But of the cities, of these peoples, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them. Yes, God was going to use the Israelites as his hammer of judgment against those seven nations of Canaan because of their hundreds of years of idolatry. And finally, It had come to pass where God is like, enough is enough. I've given them a lot of rope. I've given them much space to repent. But they are not repenting. They're not turning from it. And because... I care about them and I care about everyone who's watching. I have to judge them. And I'm going to use my own people to do it. And this is hard to hear, but notice he says, but you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. And here's the reason why. It's not just because God is a bigot and he doesn't like other people. It's not just because God chose Israel and the Jews as his own special people and everybody else not so much. No, it has nothing to do with that. Here is the only reason God is doing this. Verse 18, Lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they have done for their gods, lowercase g, thank you very much. (laughs) And you sin against the Lord your God. That's what it was all about. He wanted to keep them pure. He wanted them to be a witness. After all, he gave them the very oracles of God. I mean, these are Jewish prophets. This is a Jewish book, most of it. So that's the reason why. And then I'll look in verse 32 back in our text here, in verse 16 of 1 Kings. Notice, so now uh, Ahab sets up an altar for Baal now in the temple of Baal. So he, Baal's got his own temple now which he had built in Samaria, and Ahab made a wooden image. And Ahab did more to provoke, notice this, put a star by this or underline it, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. (laughs) Amazing. Everyone who was before him, this guy did even more. So God was not very pleased with him. And so we're going to skip over verse 34 because it, it, we're going to go right on. So what does God do? God sends a prophet. Ahab is not listening. He's totally given over. His wife is encouraging him. And now he's got no spine, no backbone to stand up and say, "Nope, this is not right. I'm sorry, Jezebel. No, he goes along with it and continues so finally, when a, when a conscience is seared, and when somebody's not listening, and they're not watching, and they're not hearing, God will send somebody, and he sends Elijah. And we see the beginning of his ministry here in chapter 17. But before we get into this, um, there's some things we've got to understand about Elijah. Because Elijah and John the Baptist, their, their lives were somewhat intertwined by prophecy, and I think you'll know this before we get too fur- too much further in here, because before John the Baptist's death, before John the Baptist was murdered by Herod Antipas, Jesus said the following concerning him. And it's recorded for us in Matthew 11. And uh, Jesus was speaking to a multitude concerning John the Baptist. And notice what he said, because we have to understand this uh, idea of Elijah and John the Baptist, because there's some really interesting parallels in their lives, biblically as well. But Jesus said, as they departed, and again, this was before John was um, murdered, martyred, And they departed, and Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? When you went out to John, what did you go to see? A reed shaken by the wind, but what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses, but what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I say to you in more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, and here he's quoting from Malachi chapter 3, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And that's who John the Baptist was. He was that messenger to prepare the way before Christ's ministry would begin. And assuredly, I say to you, Jesus said, among those born among women, there has not arisen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and here's the verse, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So is he really John the Baptist? One of the most note, and I, I'm, I'm leaving you hanging there for a minute, one of the most notable prophets of the Old Testament is Elijah. And we see in the Mount of Transfiguration, remember in Matthew 17, now this event happens after John the Baptist is martyred, because What I just read to you was in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 14 is when John the Baptist is killed. And now in Matthew 17, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up into the mountain. He's transfigured before them. And again, this happens after John the Baptist is dead. Remember that because... It says after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and went up into a high mountain. He was transfigured before them, and we all know this. And remember, and I'm just going to paraphrase here, uh, Peter gets really excited because he sees Moses and Elijah. Yes, Moses from the Old Testament and Elijah, the one we're talking about or getting ready to talk about now. And he's there talking with Jesus, and his disciples are sleeping, and they wake up, and they see... That he's talking to them, and they're all excited. And Peter, of course, is the one who says, "Let's let's get three Coleman tents and build them right here, and let's all have you guys." And and of course, he was wrong putting those guys on the same level as Christ, which is not a good thing to do. And then the the Lord Himself, God the Father, comes and overshadows them in a cloud. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Uh, And then afterward, when they came down from the mountain, his disciples asked him, notice this, and remember, John has already been killed, and his disciples, having, you know, Peter, James, and John just saw Elijah, okay, on the mountain, with Moses, and Jesus transfigured in a different form, glowing, I mean, the whole nine yards, and it was an awesome sight. They were blown away. But his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come. And they did not know him, but did to him whatsoever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. And then verse 13 says, Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So is John the Baptist Coming first, or is he coming later? Well, both, and I'll explain why. And they were likely confused because John the Baptist resembled Elijah. John the Baptist wore camels a uh, clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And in Second Kings chapter one, verse eight, it tells us the same thing about Elijah, that he was a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. So very similar in appearance. But John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Do you understand? John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah, but was not Elijah himself. In fact, remember when Gabriel came and spoke to Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, when he was in the temple, before he was born, before John was born, The angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer has been heard. And he goes on and talks about John, how he would be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. But then he says something in verse 17, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. So now we understand in context that he came before Christ in the spirit and the power of Elijah. But in Malachi 4, it tells us, that, um, Behold, I will send, and this is Malachi 4, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. What do you think that is? The second coming. and that tribulation period, before Jesus will come back, he will send Elijah the prophet, the, the real Elijah the prophet, the one that they saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. That Elijah. John came in the spirit and power of Elijah, but Malachi tells us after the fact, way after the fact, that, or I'm, I'm sorry, he tells us that he's going to come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, which speaks of a very end time event that hasn't even happened yet. So John will come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And Elijah himself will also come before Jesus' second coming. We believe that this Elijah, the one that, was, that we're talking about now in chapter 17, the same Elijah that was killed, or I'm sorry, that, uh, um, that, that we saw on the Mount of Transfiguration, excuse me, and also perhaps these two witnesses in Revelation 11 Remember in Revelation 11 in the halfway through the tribulation period there's going to be two witnesses. It's very likely that they're going to be Moses and Elijah. They do similar miracles. So he is going to come a second time and it's yet future to us. So now in 1 Kings chapter 7 we'll see the Lord using him to proclaim a drought throughout the land due to Israel's sins. We'll also see the Lord provide for Elijah in some really unusual ways. And and this really encourages me because God's arm is not short. His arm is not short. His strength is not short. God's ability is not lessened in any way. And I think as we read this, we're going to see some really interesting things. Notice in verse 1 it says, And Elijah... The Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain except these years, except at my word. And so now we see God bringing judgment uh, upon or, or getting their attention anyway. And he's telling Ahab this. And Elijah, his name means God is Yahweh. Or God is Jehovah. And Tishbite literally means captivity. And this is an inhabitant of Tishba in Gilead. And the exact location is not known, but we know where Gilead is. If you were looking at a map of Israel, and you had the Sea of Galilee, and then the Jordan River, and then the Dead Sea, over on the eastern side of the Jordan River is a mountain range. And that is called Gilead. And that's where Elijah was born, and that was the place where he grew up and came from. So one of the meanings of this word Gilead is someone who is called a also uh, someone who is called a Gadite. Remember the tribe of Gad? Gad, Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh? Remember them? And they settled when Israel came into the land. Do you remember what happened? They're all standing there at the Jordan River, about ready to go over westward into the promised land. And these three tribes looked at the land over on the east side of the Jordan River and said, you know, this looks pretty good. I know God said that that's a land flowing with milk and honey, but you know what? Our cows are really liking this deep, lush grass. And they're liking all this stuff over here. You know, let's settle over here. And these three tribes decided to settle there. And Moses, hearing from God, says, listen, if you guys are going to settle over here, you got to make sure that you get your brothers installed in their locations before you come back and settle here. Because otherwise they'd be copping out and letting them fight these battles. And God says, oh no, if you want this second... If you want this second place, I, I, I want to give you the, the very best place, but if you want this second best place, you have to go in and help your brothers conquer the land first, and then you can come back and inhabit those lands. And so they agreed. They agreed to it. Now, the problem with this is, you know, when we look at... The, and again, I, I'm probably making a big deal out of this, but I think there's a lot in names. And when you look at Tishbite, and, 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 it, and it means, you know, captivity, or excuse me... Um, Tishbite means captivity and now Gilead uh, literally means um, uh, is someone who is from Gad. I started putting two and two together and I thought about what happened in Numbers 32 because that's what happened. They decided to settle on the eastern side of the, the, of the Jordan River instead of going into the promised land on the western side. And why is that a big deal? Because they were compromising. God wanted to give them the very best. They chose second or third best. And it never bodes well when we scorn the Lord's best for us. When we choose to do something else, when he says, I want you to do this. If you do this, I'm going to really bless you. It's going to be great. I know it doesn't seem like it right now, but you'll have to trust me. So then there requires faith. And then if we follow through, we are going to get blessed. But these people decided no. And the reason I bring this up is because when Israel first, when the northern ten tribes went into captivity, the first ones that, they were, that were picked off were those ones on the Reuben and Gad and half-tribe of Manasseh on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They were the first ones to be taken to captivity. And I don't think that's any um, coincidence. They made that choice, I'm going to compromise, I'm going to be in this other place, and I'm going to be in this place where my brethren aren't going to be able to defend me because we got this big valley and this river going through it, but we like this other place, and God allowed them to do it, but it brought them into great trouble, and it got them into a lot of trouble. But I love what James says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and comes down from the Father of lights. He wanted to give them the very best. They chose second or third best. Remember that. Always be obedient to God and doing the one thing and allowing Him to take you into the very best thing. Because when we settle for something less or something that's not what He wanted or, or the very best for us, then we are going to be in trouble. That's somewhere down the line. We're just going to dry up. So notice it says in verse 1 there, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my hand and or at my word. And, and Elijah's word was really God's word, Okay, so it's really not just his word. He, he knows that too, but he is being directed by God to say, there's not going to be any rain unless it's at my word, which he obviously means God's word. But who controls the rain? Because here's the problem. Baal, this Phoenician deity, was also considered the god of the storm. He was a god of fertility. And so what we see here is we're going to see a matchup between God, Jehovah God, and Baal, who is supposed to be the god of the storm. Well, if your god Baal is is god of the storm, then bring on the rain. But when God says rain ain't happening because of your sin, guess what? It's not going to happen. So you're already pitting these two gods together. One's a false God, and the one is the true and living God. And this kind of withholding reign as a penalty for hypocrisy and judgment is all throughout the New Testament and all throughout the Old Testament, excuse me. And so verse two, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, "Get away from here." So here he was speaking to Ahab, telling him this message probably over on the uh, western side there of the Jordan in Samaria. And so God tells him, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And so he, he goes to this other place, and this, this river is actually on the eastern side of the Jordan River, somewhere just a little bit halfway up from the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee. And from the mountains, it flows from the mountains, and then it goes down into the Jordan Valley. And this freshwater source was where God told um, Elijah to hide. And we're going to find out the reason he's going to have to hide. Because in the very next chapter, we're going to see that Ahab, being so frustrated and angry with Elijah, because he's, he's, he's stopping the rain. For three and a half years, it didn't rain. No dew, no rain, and so that dries up a lot of stuff and creates a lot of problems. So Ahab is so frustrated with this prophet, he wants to kill him and he's hunting him. So God tells Elijah, Elijah, get out of Samaria and go across the Jordan over into the east, and I want you to go lodge by the brook Cherith, and I'll. Take care of you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and he stayed at the brook Cherith, notice, which flows into the Jordan, and the ravens notice, brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Do you notice anything odd about this? <laughs> yeah, there's some things that are odd. Number one is a raven. God used an unclean, carrion-eating bird of prey to bring his servant food. In Leviticus, it tells us the, the kinds of things that they were allowed to eat, and this wasn't one of them. I mean, obviously, Elijah wasn't eating the raven, but the raven was an unclean bird. It ate off death. It picked the eyes off of the roadkill. It it ate the, the blood and the, the all the innards of everything on you know snakes and rodents and